Uh, I've said before, and I will continue to say, that the Christian faith is a religion of love. It's all about love. Um, today, my thoughts are taking a small aspect of that love, um, and it starts with a bit of a critique about the modern church, which is that sometimes in the modern church life, um, our understanding of what that love is, that it's all about, gets softened into some kind of complaint. But why aren't people nice to each other? And so we sit here feeling like I have loving feelings and I feel nice and I'm a nice person and those people out there ought to be nicer and if people were nicer in the world, the world would be a better place. And I think that the letter to the Ephesians or the, the, the little bit from Ephesians that we heard today um, uh, uh, gives us a, a useful perspective that, that uh, shines a little bit of a critical light on that. Because uh, this bit of Ephesians reminds us that the commitment to love is not easy. The commitment of, to love is a struggle. It's like a war or a battle. And it reminds us that our battle is not against physical enemies, political enemies, military enemies. It's against spiritual enemies, spiritual powers. So the struggle that we fight is, in some sense, a struggle over our souls. And we need weapons and we need armor in that struggle. And so we have this little list of virtues that are recommended to us for aid in that struggle. Because it's not easy to be people of love. We are not naturally people of love. We, we love those who love us. That's easy. It's when it gets a little harder that it's harder to hang on to that love. And so these are some of the virtues that have been suggested for our reflection. And I'm just going to run through them one by one and then add one more at the end, which I think the modern church needs to hear a bit more about. The belt of truth. Um, to talk about the virtue of truth in today's climate is particularly poignant. What is truth? Where is truth? Who has truth? What is spin? What is propaganda? Where are you getting your information from? Who's interpreting it to you? So what does it mean to strap on the belt of truth, to commit yourself to truth as a cardinal virtue? There, there are lots of things to say, but I'm not going to give you 10 sermons today. I'm just going to give you little nuggets. And the little nugget about truth, for me, is that we cannot identify ourselves with our ideas. The minute we say that my ideas are me, then any critique of our idea becomes a critique on me, which gets me defensive and gets me reactive. And so you think I'm wrong about that? Well, you're a terrible person, and let me tell you all about that. And so we find ourselves in conflict and at war because I feel threatened because you have criticized my ideas. And so if I am able to be committed to truth, that means that I detach from my ideas and I say, okay, you think differently from me, why is that? What's that about? Why is it that you see things differently? And how can we engage as fellow truth seekers to discover together some better idea of what the truth might be in a complex world when truth is often a matter of its spin and opinion? So to be committed to truth is to detach yourself from your own ideas enough to allow yourself to, to engage in a critical dialogue. And this is a virtue. It's not an intellectual exercise. It is a spiritual virtue. And it's one of the tools in being a person of love and not a person of hate and not a person of violence. The breastplate of righteousness. 
Righteousness is not a word you hear a lot of in modern conversation. Um, in fact, one of my favorite academics um, uh, died recently named Hannah Cassis. Um, English was not his first language, and so for him, righteous was a swear word. And what it meant for him was self-righteous. Oh, there goes so-and-so, he's so righteous, right? And it kind of has that connotation to it, but underneath it is this Hebrew notion of tzaddik, um, which is maintained in Arabic, actually. The, this notion of Sadiq, this commitment to doing right. And so we have that notion of righteousness, which is more like the story in the Gospel of Joseph when he heard that Mary was pregnant um, because he was a righteous man, didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, but resolved to put her aside quietly. Because he was a righteous man. He wanted to do the right thing by Mary and not... And, and he wished the best for her, despite the fact that there was this great shameful uh, circumstance that he found himself in. So it's that sense of right, righteousness, that commitment to doing the right thing, particularly where it's uncomfortable or painful or even threatening. Righteousness. The shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the arrows, the flaming arrows of the evil one. And, and again, this is a, this is a combat metaphor. You are under assault, and the evil one is going after you with flaming arrows, and you need a shield, and that shield is faith. And again, the one little nugget I'll say on that one is that faith is not a set of propositions to which you give intellectual assent. It's not an idea in your head. I'm not a faithful person because I believe the right things, right? I have faith in the sense that I could say I have faith in you, or you have faith in me. That's the meaning of faith. And so if my, when my son was a teenager and he said, yeah, dad, I'll be home at 11 o'clock. And I said, all right, I have faith in you, son. That's the meaning of the word faith here. And when we, say, when we use that meaning to talk about God, it's an attitude toward God that, that um, permeates all of life. If, do we really trust that God is at work in all things? So when we hit the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, do we trust that God is at work even in that? Because if we go through life with that trust, it changes everything. The opposite of faith is cynicism, loneliness. It's a sense that nobody's got your back and nobody's going to take care of you and life is brutal and short and then you die. That's the opposite of faith. Faith is to say, even in the pain and shortness and uncertainty of human life, God is active and at work. And that changes everything. And it's a shield against the flaming arrows of the evil one that will corrupt and destroy you as a creature of God. If you really think you're alone in the universe, then you will be defensive and reactive and ultimately violent. If you believe that God is even in this, then you will ask yourself, where is God in this? And it will change your response to it. And you will become a person of love and peace. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. Salvation is not a personal virtue so much as an act of God. And of course, that's, that's precisely the point. We talk of salvation in the Christian faith because God saves us from something. Something terrible is threatening us from which we need to be saved. And so we say that God saves us. The death and resurrection of Christ saves us. And so the helmet of salvation is to know that God is at work and God is at work in a saving way. The question is, what is God doing once again? So the helmet of salvation is to say, I don't, may not understand what happened on the cross all those years ago or in the fullness of time, but I trust 
that God is at work with my and our salvation, mine as an individual and us as a collective. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, those two ideas that have been lumped together here in Ephesians, you've got the Spirit on the one hand, the tongues of flame, you know, the, the work of God, and then you have the Word of God, which, of course, is the Bible. Um, and so we've got those two things smashed together, and I don't think inappropriately. And it's a sword, so it's the one aggressive item in our kit here. Everything else is protection. This, that, that's defense. This is offense. The offense is the sword, and it's the spirit, which is the word of God. And so um, while there's nothing wrong with interpreting it as the Bible, my, when I saw those two things together, my mind put it together in a different way, which is in the prophetic tradition, that the spirit comes on the prophets of Israel, and they say, thus says the Lord. They have a word of the Lord for Israel. So that prophetic tradition is the aggression in the struggle for righteousness. That the prophetic tradition which says, I know that something's not right here and somebody's got to say something about it. And I guess that's got to be me because nobody else is saying anything. The word of God, the spirit at work in the struggle for righteousness, truth, justice, peace. And, and uh, before I get to prayer, which is the final point, I'm going to throw one more virtue in there. And this is one that I, I'm, I'm getting more passionate about. It's one that I struggle with myself, um, and that is the virtue of courage. I think that is one of the rarest virtues these days. We are a fearful people. We want things to go well. We desire for things to go well. But when things get dangerous and scary, it's much easier just to hide or not make waves or not cause a problem. I don't want to be a problem. I know this isn't the way I would like it, but I wouldn't want to say anything or cause any waves. And I think what the world needs right now from us as the people of God is courage. The courage of our faith, the courage of our convictions, the courage of our perception into what is right and what is wrong, and the courage to be prophetic and say so. That, that the world needs to hear what the vision of truth and righteousness is. And they're not going to hear it if we're just busy keeping quiet and being polite and not causing any trouble. So that final virtue that I'd throw into that mix as a, for our context right now is the context of courage. And what does it take for us to have courage? And that reminds me, I missed one. Whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace, which is why courage led me back to that. Whatever, and this is vague. Whatever it is that you need to make you ready, right? So that's a unique thing for you. It's not a specific word that is generic for everybody. It's whatever you need. And here I'm reminded of the rule of St. Benedict that says, live in this way and it'll give you the context to grow into what you need to be. And that, that, that concept of the rule of St. Benedict we've adopted as Anglicans to say we all need a personal rule of life. What do we need that, in a way to structure our lives so that we've prepared ourselves to be the person we need to be? And just as a quick example, I need sleep. And if I don't get enough sleep, I'm not going to be the person that I want to be. And so whatever I need to have in order to proclaim the gospel peace, number one, I need sleep. So I better go to bed and not stay up reading the news or whatever it is that's keeping me up far too late and giving me sleep deprived. Basic rule of life stuff, right? So whatever it is you need to proclaim the gospel of peace, and that's going to be unique to you, whatever you need. Final point, prayer. Pray at all times. 
in discussions of virtue, it's easy to hear it in a way that, well, we just need to try harder and it's all up to us. And that is categorically untrue for Christians. We say it's not all up to us. Yes, we have to commit. Yes, it takes our best efforts. Yes, it takes constant striving. But it is also a work of grace. And so as part of our striving, we open ourselves to that grace through prayer. And so Paul asks for prayers for all the saints, that we pray for each other. I don't know what your struggles are. I know some of them, but I don't know all of them, and I can't. But I can pray for you that in your struggles, God will give you the grace to overcome and be the person you were meant to be, even in the midst of whatever it is you have to deal with. And then you pray for me, and we pray for our brother and sisters throughout the world who are going through calamities that we cannot imagine. And so we pray for each other, and we ask for God to do what we do not have the strength to do ourselves, which is why prayer is the final point. And all of this together is required in the struggle to be the people of love that we are called to be, and that indeed we are at some level, however imperfectly. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.